0: We are about to encounter the magnificence of Jesus Christ. God is going to show it to us. Uh, God is going to tell us through Philippians how amazing he thinks his son really is. The magnificence of Christ in these verses should be so stunning for us that we have no choice but to humble ourselves before him and humble ourselves before others. Humility is a fitting response to beholding the humility and supremacy of Christ. Remember this, humility thrives in the presence of great glory and power. The closer we get to the immensity of Christ's humility and supremacy, the more humble we will become. Now, if you were lost in outer space, just floating out there, Um, surviving simply by the oxygen in your spacesuit, would you feel big and in control? Would you head to the beach for a swim in a tsunami? A SWAT team shows up outside of your house. Don't call me. Uh, They're there for you, you find out. And Are you going to feel self-assured ...walking out of your front door? Humility thrives in the presence of great glory and power. Uh, Great glory and power humble us, but they also attract us. Every minute, Niagara Falls dumps 6 million cubic feet of water... ...down approximately a 167-foot cliff. And I read that there are about 500 taller waterfalls in the world... But Niagara Falls is spectacular for its sheer power. 22 million people visit Niagara Falls each year because they want to see something that is more powerful than they are. Humility thrives in the presence of great glory and power. Maybe this morning you will see more of the glory and power of Jesus. Maybe God will awaken in you a greater awe, a greater admiration for Christ that translates into humility. The more you see of Christ, the more humble you will be. So my aim is to help you marvel at Jesus Christ. And I may, might get a little worked up because this is, this is fun. <laughs> this message is thrillingly Christocentric. That means that Jesus Christ is the guts and the glory of this message. He's exciting. So here's the message in a nutshell. Admire the humility and supremacy of Jesus Christ to so great an extent that it humbles you to serve him as Lord as you eagerly await the day you will be graciously exalted with him admire the humility and supremacy of Jesus Christ to so great an extent that it humbles you to serve Him as Lord as you eagerly await that great day when you will be graciously exalted with Him. The rest of our time is unpacking the Scripture to make that point. Number one, admire the humility of Jesus Christ. This is what last week was for, though He is... Though he has uh, existed eternally in the form of God, Christ did not grasp onto his equality with God in order to exploit it to his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself of all his divine rights, of all his divine privileges, by taking the form of a slave born in the likeness of men, and he obeyed God the entire way to crucifixion. That, my friends, is humility to admire. You've probably purchased something because you admired it. Maybe it was a pair of red pants for $8. Probably not. Do you admire the humility of Jesus Christ so much that you want humility for yourself? Verses 9 through 11 transition us from Christ's humiliation to Christ's exaltation. Number two. Admire the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Admire the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Verses 9 through 11 could be the most substantial statement of the supremacy of Christ in all of Scripture. There are certainly other great ones, uh, but this is a big one. And by the way, there are six sub-points beneath this second point. Verse 9 says, Therefore, God has highly exalted him. So number one, what is the therefore Therefore, whenever you see the word therefore, think back to the preceding verses because there's a connection. God highly exalted Christ as a generous response to Christ's selfless humility in verses 6 through 8. From humiliation to exaltation, God took Christ from the lowest humiliation of a crucified slave to the highest honor imaginable as Lord. Christ was rewarded for his obedience, but not exactly in the way that we understand reward. See, the word bestow in verse 9 means that God kindly and generously gave the highest name to Jesus, not as a payment for for his obedience, but as a generous gift, as grace. Bestow implies gift. Exaltation was God's kind gift to Jesus for his selfless and humble obedience. Christ didn't obey God out of selfish ambition. His greatest ambition was to glorify God. That's what drove him in life. So he lived to exalt and to elevate and to extol God. And because he did that, God graciously exalted him. Do you admire him for that? We must admire the supremacy of Christ because, number two, God highly exalted him. The Empire State Building is a tall building, 1,250 feet high. That's tall. But the Burj Khalifa building in Dubai is the tallest building in the world, 2,717 feet high, more than double that of the Empire State Building. Mount Rainier's Peak is high above sea level, 14,410 feet to be exact. But the highest point on planet Earth is Mount Everest's Peak, which looks down on everything from 29,029 feet, over double that of Mount Rainier's. Understand what God did for Jesus. God highly exalted him. That means God lifted Christ up, God elevated him into the position of highest honor. The word that Paul used to describe Christ's exaltation was more than just simply exaltation. He used a unique word which has a preposition attached to the beginning of it. And that preposition means over and above. This is the only place in the New Testament that this word is used. It's called a hapax legomenon. God exalted Jesus over and above everything else. So Jesus Christ is most exalted. Jesus Christ is highly exalted from the lowest to the highest. This is an incredible story. An incredible story. So, what does this mean? It means that Jesus Christ holds complete. And utter supremacy in everything. God's exaltation of him confirms his deity, otherwise, Jesus couldn't hold that position. Do you admire him for his high position? Peter preached Acts 2: 32 and 33, that the risen Christ was exalted at the right hand of God, and, and that refers to this position of supreme power and authority and majesty and beauty, and Jesus holds that position right now. Later in Acts 5:31, Peter said that God exalted Christ at his right hand as leader and savior. Hebrews 2.9 says that Jesus is crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. God thinks so much of the selfless humility of his son that he exalted him to the highest place of honor. His right hand as leader, as savior, crowned in glory and honor. Here's something to think about. Jesus is God, so wasn't he already highly exalted? So, the person of Christ, as you, I hope know, is inexhaustible. You can't reach the end of his person. So this might be a little tricky to think through, how big and huge and awesome the Lord is. He is infinite. So let me try to explain it like this. Jesus Christ has a divine nature. And as the Son of God, his divine nature has always been highly and exalted. The second person of the Trinity cannot be more highly exalted than he always has been. But at the incarnation, the eternal Son of God obtained a human nature, obtained a human body, so that most accurately, the Son of God became Jesus Christ of Nazareth, one person as he always has been. But became two distinct natures as he never had been before. Mind-blowing stuff, so the man, Jesus Christ, had much honor to gain, an honor that had never been bestowed on any man before or after. Though Jesus Christ's divine nature never died, never ceased to exist, Jesus died bodily as the God-man. After accomplishing salvation through his substitutionary death on the cross, God exalted Jesus, the God-man, to his preeminent position which he'd never experienced before as the god man are you following me i hope i didn't make a royal mess of that theologian william hendrickson he explained it like this and sometimes when i'm reading things i'm just yes and so i I think i said out loud thank you when i read what william had to say because he's able to answer the question i think concisely and and clearly this is what he said Try to pay close attention. I know it's a quote. Though it was the person of the mediator, talking about Jesus, upon whom these honors were conferred, it was, of course, the human nature in which the exaltation took place, since the divine nature is not capable of either humiliation or exaltation. But these two natures, though ever distinct, are never separate. The human nature is so very closely linked with the divine that though it never becomes divine, it shares in the glory of the divine. I think that's helpful. It shares in the glory of the divine. The exaltation of Christ as the God-man is a most glorious reality. It is why we admire Jesus Christ, the God-man, the most, No one else is like him. No one else compares. So understand this. Because of his lowly crucifixion as a slave in human flesh, Jesus Christ, the God-man, is now highly exalted over creation, all of creation, including all of human flesh, in a way that he never before was exalted Jesus Christ is the perfect and preeminent man, and it will take all of eternity for us to admire him adequately. Number three, under admire the supremacy of Jesus Christ, number three, God bestowed on him the highest name. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Well, what name did God bestow on him, and how important is that name? Well, at first glance, it might seem that the name Paul is referring to is Jesus. That's probably what I always thought. He said, so that at the name of Jesus. But for multiple reasons, I don't think Jesus is the name Paul is referring to. If it was, Paul might have said it like this. So that at the name Jesus, but he didn't say that. Instead, it reads, the name of Jesus, which means Jesus possesses this name. He has this name. It implies a name different from Jesus, another name that Jesus possesses. Well, what name? Well, if you jump down to verse 11, I think the name becomes obvious. What will every tongue confess? Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord Lord, the name Lord marks his true identity. God bestowed on Jesus Christ the name Lord, and it's the most important name. Let me try to back that up a little bit. Do you know what kurios, Greek word for Lord, means? It means master, owner, ruler, high authority, controller, And when referring to God, Lord means God is the sovereign and supreme master, owner, ruler, authority, controller over absolutely everything. By receiving the name Lord Jesus Christ, the God-man obtains from God the universal rule and reign over all things. What name comes close? Muhammad? Darwin? Shakespeare? Caesar, Einstein, Dickens, Gandhi, Elvis, Clinton, Trump? Not in a million years. What name on your iPod? What name on your bookshelf? What name on your cell phone or TV rivals the name Lord? The Hebrew name of God was Yahweh. Yahweh is the greatest and highest name of God. Interesting What Greek word do you think translates the word Yahweh? Kurios, Lord. The same word used in verse 11. Lord is the highest name God could give Jesus. Just listen to these glorious verses. Psalm 8, verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Psalm 29, verse 2. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Psalm 97 verse 9, for you, O Lord, are most high above all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. God says in Isaiah 45 verses 5 and 6, I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. There is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. That's a pretty clear statement, pretty definitive by our God. When God said that, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were saying that. Now that the Son obtained humanity, a human nature is added to the Godhead and is now exalted as Supreme Lord. Jesus Christ, the God-man, now bears the very name of Yahweh, the most glorious name, Peter said in Acts 2.36 that God had made the crucified Jesus both Lord and Christ. God made his divine nature and his human nature Lord to enjoy all the glory and all the benefits and all the privileges associated with that name. Ephesians 1.20 and 21 reinforce this. It says that God raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. My friends, he is supreme now. He was supreme then. He will always be supreme. Christ has complete and utter supremacy in all things. He is way above his competition. Oh, how sad it is that other religions seem to flourish upon nothing. Jesus is supreme. Saints, don't you worry about the election this year. Don't you worry. Didn't Jesus say all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Him. Jesus Christ is Lord. God gave Him that name. God gave Him that honor. God gave Him that power. Admire Him for the supremacy of His name. Admire His supremacy because, number four, every knee will bow at His name. All of the arrogance, all of the narcissism, all of the deceit, all of the rudeness of politicians, I mean people, will be righted. Every knee will bow at his name. Verses 6 through 8 explain Christ's selfless humility. Verse 9 explains the result of his selfless humility, namely his exaltation. And verse 10 explains the result of his exaltation. So that, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Maybe write this down. Sometimes study Isaiah 45, verses 22 through 25. Isaiah 45, 22 through 25. In those verses, the Lord said this To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. That is an overt connection with Philippians 2, verse 10. Jesus is Lord and his name commands such respect and such honor that every knee everywhere will bow before him. Bowing is a lowering of yourself before someone, in front of someone, to show respect and to show honor and to show subjection. God exalted Jesus so that... All people would lower themselves before him so he would receive their respect, receive their honor, receive their subjection. Paul has eschatological homage in mind. Sadly, not everyone will bow before Christ in this life. But at the revelation of Jesus Christ... At the final judgment, in the fullness of his glory, his name will be so commanding that all of his worst enemies will bow. They will get low. Their choice to pay him tribute will be gone. God's name will finally and fully override their wills and command respect to be paid, but not to their eternal honor. Sadly, To their eternal shame. Paul said every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Celestial knees will bow. Earthly knees will bow. Subterranean knees will bow. Every knee will bow. All the angelic beings will bow. All the saints will bow. All demons and the devil himself will bow. All the condemned souls in the underworld will bow. Everyone will bow before Jesus Christ as Lord. You look around at the atrocities of our world with all the false religion, all of the atheism, all of the agnosticism, all of the complete spiritual indifference and apathy, why does God tolerate the ongoing belittling of his exalted son? The answer is actually simple, and it's it's really cool. Because God is patient and kind. What do you think he's doing? He's waiting. He's waiting. There is still time for the vilest sinner to bow and receive amazing grace. But the time to honor Christ in this life is running out. And soon will be the day when Jesus Christ the Lord will be universally honored. And the storehouses of God's infinite wrath will be poured out upon all treasonous rebels who refuse to bow the knee to the Lord in this life. Christ's day of reckoning is almost here and his name will be vindicated. Admire him. Admire him because his name commands universal respect. Admire his supremacy because, number five, every tongue will confess his lordship. Just as every knee will bow in respect and honor to Jesus as sovereign Lord, every tongue will acknowledge and agree fully that Jesus Christ is Lord. No more will anyone, anyone belittle his name with unbelief, belittle his name with curses, Belittle his name with heartless worship and spiritual apathy. At that day, every tongue will publicly declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. Julius Caesar will proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. Joseph Stalin will confess that Jesus is Lord. The Beatles and Charles Manson and Richard Dawkins and Barack Obama, every member of ISIS, all will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And every saint throughout history who has loved and cherished his name will proclaim on that day that he is Lord None will escape it, yet some will joyfully confess unto eternal honor, and sadly some will painfully confess to eternal shame. How satisfying it will be for God. How satisfying it will be for us to make that declaration at the end and to see it realized right there. We get a front row seat. Mine might be a back row seat, but we get to see it. How satisfying. God is so greatly glorified through the universal confession of His Son as Lord. God enjoys when His Son is glorified. When the Father is honored, or the Father is honored, when the Son is honored, The Father is praised when the Son is praised. The Father is esteemed when the Son is esteemed. The Father is worshipped when the Son is worshipped because of their oneness, because of their unity. Last one, admire the supremacy of Jesus Christ because number six, His greatest joy was always the glory of God. Why would Jesus do verses 6 through 8, from last time. Why? Why? Because he found greatest joy, his greatest joy and pleasure in glorifying his Father. His humiliation led to his exaltation, which led to the glory of God, his Father, in verse 11. And that is worth thinking about. There's a a connection here, I believe, to Hebrews 12, verse 2, which says this, Jesus who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. And it says that he is now seated at the right hand of God. Though his divine nature was always perfectly happy, in his human nature, uh, obtained his greatest joy and pleasure in God Through his obedience to the will of God, through his humiliation, through his exaltation. You know our mission. I hope you know it. It's on the front of the bulletin if you don't. Jesus Christ pursued his greatest joy and pleasure in glorifying God the Father. And that is why he is the happiest man alive, he is supremely happy. Admire his humility. Admire his supremacy. And if you do, your admiration of him will end in your selfless humility. Number three now. Humble yourself before the humility and supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ. I admire John Piper. I admire Tim Keller. I admire Matt Chandler. I admire Kevin B. Young. But I do not bow before these men. Because they are not my Lord. Our admiration of Jesus, our Lord, must take us to his feet. Must take us low before him. Remember that humility thrives in the presence of great glory and power. So come into his humility. Come into his supremacy and know him. Know him as he is. And be humbled by him. How can we have any strain whatsoever of pride in the presence of an eternally glorious Christ? There's no room for pride. What are you going to boast in but Him? His glory and power are meant to make us feel gloriously small. Gloriously in need of Him. And in that humility, we find our glory, our glory. Before you will ever be able to live out Philippians 2, 3, and 4, you know the verses from several weeks ago? Before you can live that out, you need to bow into a position of great need before the Lord. You must bow and plead to receive selfless humility from Christ Jesus our Lord. Every day we must bow. Every day we must confess Him as Lord. Every day we must receive from Him the humility we need to love and serve others. I heard a, a famous pastor say recently that we should come to church to give, not to receive. And I sat there and said, no! We must come to church to receive from God our joy from him our peace from him we must come so hungry to get something at church and we must come to give all right Jesus Christ is the pattern the perfect pattern of selfless humility so we cannot expect to do everything that he did exactly how he did it we can't have that level of humility But his journey from humiliation to exaltation illustrates a similar journey that God takes us on, that we will make this journey. This promise that I'm going to introduce to you here from God can make you happier to be selfless and humble. It. It'll draw you in, this promise from God that I'm about ready to give you. This promise should make you desire greater humility. Number four, serve Christ and others with with great humility and joy for the time of your gracious exaltation with Christ is near. On a very honest and practical level, why be humble? Why? I don't feel like it. I want everything to be about me. Why be humble? You might think if, if I humble myself and count others more significant and put their interests first, I might get hurt. People might trample all over me. People might take advantage of me. I might look like a fool. I might look weak. I might feel dumb. I might start believing deep down that others are actually better than me and, and that I'm no good and I might struggle with security and have emotional problems and And no, I need to protect myself. I need to defend myself. I need to think about me first and what I need. I need to be independent so I can show the world that I can do this, that I'm self-sufficient and they can't walk all over me. No, that's what I need. Isn't that our temptation? Isn't that thinking so deeply ingrained in American culture and life? American Christianity. Humility is often perceived as weakness in our culture. And that is not to our strength. That is to our detriment. We're worse off for that perception. Selflessness and humility are strength. Christ is the perfect example of that. If you need anywhere to look, look to him at what strength really is. Now, humility is tough. Absolutely tough, but I think this promise from God will help put desire in you, will help put joy in your struggle for humility. It'll, it'll be so appealing to you if you get this. This is the type of thing that, that makes you want to be humble. After a few of the scriptures, I think you'll pick up on it. Let's start with Jesus, Matthew 23 11 and 12. He said this The greatest among you, the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. On another occasion, some people were trusting in themselves and thinking that they were righteous and they were treating others with contempt. So Jesus always had a great thing to say. And he told them a parable about a Pharisee and a tax collector. And this is how the Pharisee prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. (laughs) extortioners unjust adulterers even like this tax collector i fast twice a week i give tithes of all that i get that's an interesting man now listen now the tax collector prayed and by the way he wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven he just beat his chest and he prayed god be merciful to me to me a sinner The tax collector was actually justified. The Pharisee was not justified. And Jesus had an answer. Why? For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now listen to James 4.10. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Are you getting it? Christ is the Lord, and when we humble ourselves before him, he exalts us. 1 Peter 5, 5 and 6 are amazing. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that, so that, at the proper time, he may exalt you. Be very careful with this because God gives grace to the humble grace to the humble We are enabled to humble ourselves under his mighty hand And that humbling results in God exalting us and I take our exalting to mean not that we are elevated above Christ Clearly not but that we are lifted up into the position to see the fullness of Christ's preeminence, his supremacy, his exaltation. We will not be exalted in the same way Jesus was, much less so. We will never be highly exalted. God will never bestow on us the preeminent name of Lord. No knees will ever bow to us. No tongues will ever confess that we are Lord. But because God is gracious, And because God is kind, and because we know the Lord and love the Lord and serve the Lord, we will be exalted with him. And our exaltation is ultimately for the glory of Christ and our joy in his glory. You can joyfully get lower and lower and lower and lower in life, in this life. Get low. You can keep going lower. Just keep doing it in this life. You can endure the worst humiliation that anyone has ever experienced save Christ because the day is quickly approaching when God will exalt you. You will be vindicated. Part of your exaltation may come in this life. Can't guarantee it, but you might get some moments of exaltation where you are vindicated. But ultimately, I think it fully comes when God lifts us up and exalts us to heaven to see and savor the glory and power of Christ's exaltation forever. See, humility thrives in the presence of great glory and power. We were slaves to sin. And yet through Christ... Through Christ alone, we are now exalted and we will be fully exalted as glorious saints and God will exalt us to the highest honor that could be bestowed on saints, the honor of eternity with him. Our bodies will be like his body. God will raise us up with Christ and seat us with him in the heavenly places. Our suffering will lead to our being glorified with Christ. This is biblical. I have references for this. You can be humble, you can put other people's first because your day of exaltation is coming. What do you need it here for? Get low. Your exaltation with Christ is coming. Whatever humiliation you suffer, your humility will lead to being glorified with Christ. You will inherit all the riches of heaven simply because, and this is key, God will graciously, God will graciously give it to you and your greatest glory will be seeing and savoring the glory of Christ. Christ the glory of God, it's all grace. It's all absolute and complete grace. You have merited nothing from God. He just wants to give you this exaltation with Christ. It's all a gift. Now, let me ask you the question, does that promise embolden you to humility? It's intended to do that, and I hope it does. Your day is almost here, dear brother and sister. Put down your selfish ambition. Put down your conceit. Put down your self-interest. Look to the day of your future exaltation, which will be so gracious and so amazing with Christ, and live today with humility, complete humility. Christ did. Christ did, and with his help, only with his help. You'll fail if you do it on your own. Only with his help. You can live humbly as well. Father, thank you for your glorious word, and I pray that we take it to heart. God, I pray that your spirit works great humility in us. God, thank you for the humility and the supremacy of Jesus Christ. His name, the name of the Lord, is so awesome that we serve not a second-rate God. We serve the God. Allah is nothing. All of the Hindu got nothing. We have Christ. And so we have everything. So God, thank you. Thank you for letting us know this this morning. Because it's great. All for your son. Amen.